Hey, everybody. I'm Greg Bendian. Welcome to the broadcast. And today we have kind of a unique episode because it features my ensemble itself, the Mahavishnu Project, and the guys therein. So happy to welcome everybody here. We have Brian Mooney on the bass, Robbie Mangano on guitar, and my co-director Neil Alexander on the keyboards. Hi, guys. Yo, what's happening? Hey, Greg. Hey. So I, I thought it would be fun if we, we kind of let people in a little bit on our process of how we do this music and, and why we we do this this historical jazz rock music that we enjoy playing. Um, I just want to start by saying I always viewed this group the way you would view any repertory ensemble, whether it's mostly Mozart in the classical world or the Mingus Dynasty band. And that was actually one of the cool things when we started this group in 2001 and started playing at the Bottom Line Club in New York in the Village. Alan Pepper at the Bottom Line said, oh, I get what you guys are doing. You're just like Mingus Dynasty. You're just keeping the repertoire alive. And so, you know, that's really been the whole point of the group to interpret the music of John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And then over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, we've been adding tunes by Jeff Beck, tunes by Jan Hammer. Uh, we've done some Weather Report tunes. So a lot of this is uh, falling under the, the just the large umbrella of jazz rock, and some people would even say jazz rock fusion. Now, um, I I think I've had the longest amount of time with this music of, of the four of us. I, I heard Birds of Fire in 73 when I was 10 on 8-track, and that's 50 years ago, and we're still thinking about that music and, and the impact it's had. So I, I know that that Neil has had a long history with this music, but Brian, I'm, I'm not so sure about your history in, in terms of jazz rock in general. Well, for me, uh, I studied with Gerald Carboy. He's the bassist for David Sanchez and David Sanchez and Tone. And uh, I think it was around when I was 16 years old. Um, it was in one of our lessons. He he sat me down and uh, he played the first fusion tune I heard was uh, Black Market Weather Report. And then uh, I was just like blown away. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a clue at that point. You know, he introduced <laughs> me to the whole world. And then uh, shortly thereafter, you know, he turned me on to, you know, his uh, his uh, legacy with uh, David Sanchez. And, um, and then Birds of Fire was like shortly thereafter. Um, that was the first Mahavishnu tune I ever heard too from him. He introduced me. So, uh, 16 years old. And I know uh, Robbie Mangano is a, a guy who specializes in a lot of Zappa stuff and and a, a lot of other music. But I, I, I know that you're kind of new to the Mahavishnu arena. Yeah, I am. I, I, I probably heard just maybe uh, Meeting of the Spirits, um, you know, around college, some of the uh, actual like hippie kind of kids that were into like the Grateful Dead and stuff like that, they would be like into that too. And also it's funny, um, also along that sort of hippie kind of thing, it was like um, hearing um, Country Joy off of uh, Birds of Fire, just because that's kind of like, you know, a crunchy bluegrassy vibe to it. 
Um, so that was like kind of like popular too. Like, oh, you ever hear this? You know, but I've you know every time I um, did listen to some Mahavishnu, um, it was very sporadic. Like somebody would put it on. Um, I've been on tours where you know you're in the van and. It's like, what's this? But like after a while, there's nothing else that sounds like it because that violin guitar uh, thing happening together um, was so unique to <laughs> Mahavishnu sound that like, you know, when I'd hear it, I'd be like, oh, that's gotta be Mahavishnu, you know? So um, I think I would hear like, you know, you know, you know, on tours, but like, it's funny, not so much like, everything just like certain tracks here and there that i found were popular in, in like other people's genres you know just like that that song country joy maybe meeting of the spirits or something and so um yeah i'm very new to it as far as like the joining with you guys um and just jamming with you guys uh at first you know greg you said to me like why don't you listen to some, pick some songs that you like. And so I just skimmed through and I was like, oh, this one's cool. This one's cool. This one's cool. And I found a bunch, then maybe like maybe 10 songs that I, <coughs> I, I want to check out how to play these, you know, but otherwise before that I was very, I would say <clears throat> the word probably is intimidated by the prowess of uh, John McLaughlin. So I was like, wow, this, that's, that's insane. I don't know how it's going. Like, how's he doing that? You know, technique wise. Um, so, so yeah, uh, it's very new to me. Um, and I'm sort of, it's interesting to, to learn the songs because now it's like, uh, you know, it opens up and it's like the key. It's like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> so there's a bunch of that happening for me every time. Yeah. And I think, uh, Robbie deserves some special mention here because in the 20 something years that I've been doing the Mahavishnu project and asking guitar players to, to choose what tunes they'd like to come down and, and play, Robbie was the only person to ever pick the 1916 time signature of Celestial Terrestrial Commuters as a quote unquote audition piece. So, <laughs> I thought either this guy's crazy or he's a serious badass. So, yeah, I think that for me it was just the the composition. I liked the riff, um, you know, that sort of Lydian riff. I always loved that. Mm. And then, um, then just trying to like, what is happening after that riff? You know, like, you know. So basically, that's what turned me on. Just the song itself. Yeah, but you chose one of the most challenging of the entire book. The only other thing I think is more challenging is Dream. Okay. Which we have not touched for so many years, but you really okay. need violin for that. And yeah, since we've been, been doing this as a quartet without violin, you need a killer keyboard player who's got two hands, <laughs> two fingers. <laughs> and Neil Alexander, you're, you're doing so much over there, you know, orchestrating on the keyboards, playing keyboard parts, doubling melodies that violin would have rather uh, have played? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I come from this tradition you know, of uh, keyboardists in the, uh, starting in, I guess, 1970 or 69, 70, keyboard players started going out with multiple instruments, five or six keyboards and stacked up. And then the mini Moog was introduced. And now 
keyboard players could compete with guitar with melody and then it became uh uh clear soon after that that it was about orchestration really it was about bringing different colors and each keyboard has its own sound and then the ergonomics of it so when i got into the mahavishnu orchestra actually i was uh, um a little underwhelmed because it really was just Fender Rhodes and Mini Mode and not much else. There's a little bit of organ on the first record and a little bit of, and even less organ on the second record. But um, the 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 orche the orchestral approach was still kind of there because of just the way John was writing uh, with these ostinati and and the violin and the guitar. And um, yeah, so when we go out and play, I like to bring the uh, the Prague orchestral concept, you know, pioneered by people like Wakeman and Moraz and people like that, to this music because it just I think there's room for it and I think it makes it even more interesting. Yeah, even when you literally think of the Mahavishnu orchestra music as chamber orchestra or orchestral in nature, I think it's begging you uh, to expand sonically. And that goes for guitar, that goes for the drum approach, that goes for the bass. And certainly since they did expand to be an orchestra on Apocalypse and even continuing into uh, Emerald Beyond where the instrumentation is now strings and horns and voice and things are expanding. I like to think that in the same way that Bach would have hoped for a better keyboard during his time, the lack of uh, keyboard, reliable keyboard diversity in 1970, 72, 73, meant that they couldn't do what we can do now. Right. We have additional technolo technological resources. And, uh, lucky for someone like me everything is a lot lighter than it used to be mm -hmm. it's easier to bring out more instruments without breaking my back mm. <laughs> you don't miss carrying around a fender roads yeah no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that was no. that's heavy duty stuff there but now we have all these sounds you know and we and we can do acoustic piano and do uh, Thousand Island Park without having to carry around a piano. Right. And, and, and you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we how we kind of rearrange things. And I guess Thousand Island Park is a good place to start. You know, we have been going out and touring the complete Birds of Fire album, uh, minus Open Country Joy recently uh, without the violin. So. Um, but Thousand Island Park is a piece where I wanted to set up the modal improvisations with more rhythmic ideas. So I wrote ostinati for the different sections for each of the solos. And that's just something of what I call uh, light rearranging or light arranging, where I'm not trying to reinvent these pieces, but, but rather open up some areas in the pieces that weren't necessarily explored by the original band and it's part of our interpretation of it part of our coming to uh make the music more personal for us and i wonder if you guys could could talk a little bit about how you do that 
in viewing your approach to the music itself, Brian? Sure. Um, so, uh, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's definitely, you know, st obviously sticking to the original concepts, right? Because they already thought all that stuff out, right? So it's definitely staying true to form, but it's being able to stretch out and in, uh, interpret it in my own personal way, just as we all do. Um, so that, that to me, uh, it's about just making the music sound better, uh, you know, and anything I can do to help the music sound better. That's what I'll try to reach for. Are you more of a, a Rick Laird man or a Ralph Armstrong man? <laughs> oh my gosh. I like so many bass players. They're all great. Um, I mean, uh, you know, obviously when you listen to that, uh, the very first Mahavishnu Orchestra um, ensemble. Um, I mean, that it's that whole sound that, you know, Rick anchored. So, I mean, he it's it has its own, um, I guess, uh, like just feel and uh, uniqueness about it where Ralph, like um, he just had like these burbling bursts and like that Motown you know uh along with all the other stuff that he brings it with the fretless and whatnot um uh makes it real interesting everybody has their own voice so i mean i like i like it all um you know i i try to i try to pay homage to to both of those gentlemen i mean they're outstanding so uh you'll definitely hear some of that in what i do both of them yeah it's true i guess ralph armstrong is the funkier of the two guys but you know, the music was changing by this time the second band came around. Things were getting funkier. Yeah, that. And um, I I think, uh, I mean, Ralph had the the luxury of, um, of the progression of John McLaughlin's music where it was orchestral and um, it really started to get out there with the technology that John was bringing, you know, with the 360 guitar synthesizer and and uh just um uh, narada just you know destroying it on on all that material and bringing his own music to it and um it just had a different sound and uh you know he uh he he just took it in a different place in his own way and um but still you know kind of kept it true to the original form i like them both so uh they're both unique that is a correct answer <laughs> <laughs> Neil, is, is Jan Hammer your main guy? Okay, so I always said that my big three, and I have to give them equal weight, are Jan Hammer, Joe Zonal, and Herbie Hancock, because they each bring a different aspect to the overall concept of, of the multi-keyboardist, the someone that's orchestrating. You know, like in terms of it, the actual uh, set, solo synthesizer, it's undisputable that Jan Hammer kind of is the king of that. And he really created a very individualistic sound, uh, lead voice sound, very precise in terms of his pitch art and pitch and modulation articulation and uh, choice of sound. Uh, uh, Joe Zarno was, was very um, important in uh exploring polyphony and synthesizers and creating organic sounds. And Herbie, of course, always the consummate pianist. So the three of them together, to me, comprise the ideal 
that I am going for in my <laughs> my work. So, uh, but Jan, in terms of what he did with Maharishi, there's nobody else that would have done in Mahavishnu what he did, you know, which is his whole angular approach to harmony, which offset John's composition, and then his uh, soloing um, really was in the same direction. Whereas I don't think there's anybody else that would have, you know, he kind of wrote the wrote the map that people like Stu Goldberg then later stepped into, you know, or even Chick, who was at the time that those records came out was basically a pianist, right? Yeah, and and you know, Neil, you're you're such an amalgam of those guys, and 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 it's really uh, gives us a lot of leeway to go into the Beck stuff, to go into Jan's solo material and and view this all as part of one big piece. And uh, Robbie, you might be the 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 newcomer in this stuff, but you really have taken to the material like like a fish takes to water. And I'm wondering, you know, what's the crossover <laughs> with with the Zappa stuff you've played and how that's helped you and Really, you know, what is your approach, and and what warnings would you give guitar players? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, the Zappa stuff like definitely helped because uh, you have to learn. When I played a lot of that material, uh, you have to learn a, a million notes, you know. And so, if I'm used to doing that, then I can look at this stuff and say, okay, it's not as many notes, but it's still crazy fast and time signatures are are you know out there so so you know you look at it and you uh, basically the training in the zappa stuff allows me to say okay i can do this it's going to take a little bit different sort of uh getting my head around it but but it's like you know it's it's like i'm already prepared in a way from having to learn you know compli other complicated stuff um, as far as like, uh, you know, the, the sound of uh, John when he's soloing, I find it's so much to be a pentatonic, uh, you know, scramble tornado. <laughs> you know? And, um, I never heard that. <laughs> neither. I've just said uh, it. Scramble tornado. <laughs> so. Write that one down. So, <laughs> so uh, I. I find it though when I listen to it is that that is the it's part of the composition to me um, to speak that language you know not if I started to play like a, a scale that was you know a mode or something like that I kind of don't feel like it fits you know it doesn't seem to me like it it works now when I'm playing with Neil and he's bringing to he's bringing these out outer things that aren't you know straight pentatonic a lot of the, the pentatonics that are happening are not in your regular area you know they're in a different uh, placement you know so they do sound odd even though they're pentatonic but neil will come out and play something that's um you know a mode or or a, a different type of pentatonic and um and that's like sort of like somewhere that I hear and I say, wow, what's Neil doing? <laughs> and I think that's that Jan part that's happening. And uh, a lot of it, I'm just very curious about 
what that is. You know, it doesn't really translate to guitar that easily. You know, when I'm trying to like go back and forth with Neil, like I, sometimes I'm trying to listen, like what key is he coming from right now? Because it seems like not in the key, you know, and um, and it, but it sounds good. And so it's really hard to figure out, you know, I'm sitting there playing A minor pentatonic and I don't know, maybe you're playing F7 or something, right? That's one of the- Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> you're doing that. And like, while I'm there, I'm like hearing that and it's like, whoa, is that, how is, what is that? You know, so I'm trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, it's a learning curve definitely to uh, <clears throat> try to, you know, um, take in all the different uh, harmonizations within the soloing of this of the recorded material but i feel like definitely it's part of uh playing like modal stuff that you might do if in a different sort of band or genre it doesn't seem to work or it sound good to me um as much as like kind of just coming from going into where john was coming from like that is like a the nice part about it for me, like, you know, I feel like that's like, I feel like in a way, you know, that's what the people who come to see the show, like, are looking for in a way. Um, you know, I try to throw my own things in there. I can't do what John does, but, you know, I, I do stick to like sort of where he's coming from if I can. Yeah. yeah, and and I think it's worth mentioning to folks that I never put pressure on guitar players in this ensemble to sound like John McLaughlin. No. And the marching orders I gave Mr. Mangano were, you can do anything you want in this band, and he does. And I think that's that's a big part of it, too, is we don't try to recreate solos. We might reference a little riff that we like in somebody's solo from the record. But no, it's um, it's really the improvisation parts are really about listening and improvising right. and and the interaction between you and Neil. I mean, Neil, can you confirm or deny anything that Robbie was saying about your trading? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, you know, in exploring, as I had mentioned earlier, Jan Hammer's kind of angular approach to harmony, you know, like like he. <laughs> You know, you're trying not to. John is laying down licks in a certain way, like say standard pentatonic kind of ideas, uh, and <clears throat> Jan is using this technique. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm, you know, paraphrasing, I guess, because I don't really know what he's doing. But but for me, trying to get to the same place harmonically, I'm doing superimposition, so I'm superimposing. Uh, a mode, a particular mode from a different key on top of the key we're playing it, just to see where that sounds like and what I can do with that. And then I'll keep changing that up and trying different things. And, you know, one of the easiest ones is is uh, a minor third away. Like, say, if you're playing an F minor, to play A flat minor pentatonic. Or if we're playing an F minor, uh, doing a half step, uh, F sharp, minor pentaton, you know, and just seeing what those kinds of uh, superimpositions, what kind of tensions that they they create. And occasionally I stumble on something that, oh, I think Jan actually did that somewhere. <laughs> but it's all about exploration, you know, like this harmonic exploration. So then it it's takes... great to have somebody like Robbie who's really listening and responding 
to when I do that stuff. You know, I'm trying to catch on to it, like what you know, while you're doing it. But that takes a lot of courage, or you know, to to step out into some zone like that where it could be totally. I don't know. Like I, I feel like I know when I'm playing if something doesn't sound good, you know. And like it takes a lot of courage to like just be like, let me see. I'm gonna play an F sharp, you know, pentatonic while we're in F, and, and you know, and in a way, not know what that's gonna sound like. Right. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, I might, I might try doing some of that. <laughs> <laughs> like for example, if if we're like say playing in the key of E, and you just you're gonna decide you're gonna take a solo in A flat. Um, mixolydian you know so basically a flat seven and just you'll find like that the a flat is the third of e right so you have and the f sharp is in there and so you have some commonality and you have yeah. some, and you have some tension and, and that you can create and then you can always like just pop out of that yeah you know, to release the tension at, at any given point cool you know i mentioned dream earlier and i think one of my favorite Jan Hammer solos recorded by Mahavishnu Orchestra is the live version of Dream, where Jan is playing over, I think it's like a G pedal there, and he just completely drifts off into another mode or another key, and it has such a mysterious quality. Yeah. You know, um, but he was the searcher, I think, more so than than John, you know? Yeah, I think they were. I think actually, you're talking about the road solo at the beginning. The right? road solo, yeah. And he does really. He goes somewhere else, like harmonically, that you you can't even hear it because it's so. You know, it sounds like it's deliberately chosen to be as far away from the key. It's not a tritone away, so it's not as far away technically, but it's. You know, if I'm not mistaken, they're playing in like A minor and he goes into D flat seven. Mm -hmm. um, and which is the common notes there are like B and F, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but he you dig in, like we were talking about this earlier on the phone about this idea of like there's no wrong notes, there's only the ones you don't believe in. Right. Like he picks this direction and he digs into it and it like it works because he decides that it works yeah. <laughs> anyway that's uh yeah that's a thing but yeah that's he has this whole mysterious quality he would do this in synth solos on jeff beck records and on you know there's a there's a lenny white record called big city and there's a track on there with jerry goodman and jan and in some of his, they would do trading, they would go back and forth. And then there's a couple of Jan solos where he just goes, it's just in some other key for, you know, an indeterminate amount of time. And it's like, why are we doing that? You know, but it's fascinating. And it's that, that same idea. It's like, you create the rules. There are no rules. You make your own rules. <laughs> and yet he's as much of an Indian style articulation player as as john and i think that's interesting common ground uh, robbie could you talk a little bit about the uh the bending and the uh the kind of expression that's involved in these guitar melodies yeah it's uh it's interesting it's um 
it's there's a sharpness to uh to your landing notes you know i feel like i mean i haven't incorporated that much in in that um but like if i listen to uh the the material the recorded material i that's what i hear i hear um you know a stop and a quick sort of wild vibrato um on top of that stuff and 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 out like further bending than um than just a full bend you know you have there's there's a bend there's a full and a half which is three three half steps up but also like just so it's very microtonal i'd say so um in a way it's like it's it's very like violin sort of like going going out um so i, I think especially um playing along with the violin it sort of makes makes a wild um phase happening pitch wise so i think that um i think that's like it's happening all the time and it's funny because i've talked to some people who are are not really guitar players that are not even real mus really musicians who who love Mahavishnu and um and that's one thing that somebody said to me was was oh I love the the way he bends those notes you know <laughs> it's like you know it's just very unique you know I mean a lot of times I'll listen to this stuff and I'll just be concentrating on wow how does he play that fast or something like that so you know you kind of pass over the little vibrato things for me but it's there and I, I I sort of realized that and I haven't really tried it that much well I think on the the um sanctuary solo that you take in uh, in Pawtucket which is on YouTube uh second set of the Pawtucket show I think that's the most Indian I've heard you play yeah yeah with so, sort of slippery slide off notes. And yeah. you know, if, if you watch enough Indian string players, you see that that's a big part of it. They're dipping yeah. their fingers in talcum powder, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of sliding and it's, it's kind of about defeating the fret. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like, um, on, on at least those early albums, like uh, birds of fire that it's, it's more about the bending than the sliding, you know, as, as far as I can hear. Um, but I think, yeah, there's the sliding might, might come on. Is it true? Maybe on the later material? Yeah. As, as he gets more and more comfortable with Indian music, I, after Shakti Mach one yeah. in particular, I think John is starting to incorporate more Vena stuff. Cause we know that he studied Vena at Wesleyan university before Mahavishnu started. Um, oh. so he was trying to find a way for the guitar to do that and then ultimately the acoustic uh guitar on shakti which is has the scalloped frets which allow him to press down and bend yeah mm -hmm. so you start to see that uh and then of course in current day there's a bit of a, a whammy bar thing going on with john uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah he never used he never used a whammy bar before like he just started. It seems like he just started in the last 10 years. Wasn't there whammy bar on the Les Paul in the Mahavishnu Mahavishnu, the 80s band? Yeah, but I don't think he ever, I never saw him use it. I never saw him actually use it in any of those videos. Yeah. 
know, when I saw them and you saw them, I don't remember him ever using when he started using the, the bar, like, I don't know, late 2015, 2016 or something. It was just kind of like, whoa, John, what are you doing? What's going on? There, buddy? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So what what's the uh, what's the real ball buster on the on this book of Mahavishnu music, Brian? What's what's the one that uh, that you have challenges with? Uh, of the ones that we've played so far, gosh, um, I I don't they're I mean they all they all you know you have to shed the stuff so. Um, I, I don't I don't know offhand. I, I'm okay. I'm... <laughs> how about you? How about you, Rob? Me? It's probably still CTC, the first song. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a mofo. I uh I keep finding different ways to count stuff, and like I keep working on it, and I, it's getting better for me. It's getting more comfortable. But uh, yeah, that's that's the one that you know I have to you know, make sure I could play before, you know, like days before the gig. I'm like, oh, like, let me just work on that for a second. Also, just that picking pattern in Birds of Fire in the beginning. That is uh, something I can't just wake up in the morning and start playing without, you know, my hand feeling like it's tight or whatever. So that's something I got to work out uh, to get that happening. Well, and John was a pick every note kind of guy back then, right? Yeah. yeah still is i think yeah <laughs> and i'm not a pick everything kind i i like i like to try but uh you know i do what i can in that respect how about you neil what's the uh what's the bear for you well there's there's a couple of different aspects of that because CTC obviously is what that is celestial terrestrial commuters and i spent a lot of time working on that met for many decades so i feel very comfortable with that tune it's not a ball buster for me at this point in my life but doing something like birds of fire trying to get the melody and the ostinato going at the same time that's challenging right trying to get and, and the same on ctc is just adding the other parts that makes it more challenging uh, sanctuary is challenging just because the cycle is very long and can be difficult to feel you know and you have to internalize this stuff to really get inside of it you can't just be numbers 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 you gotta like like fucking feel where that downbeat is every time without thinking about it and sometimes on these like Noonward Race, we haven't done that with this band, I don't think. But Not that yet. long, that long passage that keeps adding and keeps adding and keeps adding. That's challenging to feel that, to feel where that is, you know. Um I always think the stuff that we haven't done yet is the challenging stuff. Stuff from Apocalypse, you know, there's some things on Apocalypse that are like <laughs> crazy ostinatos in eleven, and it goes from eleven four to eleven eight to you know that, that's you know i see that as as it's like the climbing the next mountain it's like okay we're at the top of this mountain oh there's another mountain let's go up there you know uh, uh, and, 
we are going to be actually performing a piece from Apocalypse next week at Prague Stock in Rutherford, New Jersey, October 6th. We'll be performing Smile of the Beyond in an arrangement featuring Rachel Flowers on voice. And I'm really excited about that because Smile of the Beyond has been one of my top favorite three, maybe, of Mahavishnu songs. And rarely get to perform it. We performed it and recorded it on the Return to the Emerald Beyond album, and then also recorded it with uh, Melissa Stiglianu on Mahavishnu Reimagined, and String Quartet, a reduction of the string orchestra part. So now we're going to be reducing the string quartet part to two keyboard, four hand part. And it's just, to me, one of John McLaughlin's most beautiful melodies. <clears throat> Agreed. It's really exceptional out of like everything in his catalog. It's really kind of stands apart, you know, and it's so thrilling to be able to do it. Like we're going to perform it. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And Rachel's very excited. And that's one of her favorite Mahavishnu pieces. And of course, she's a wonderful singer as well as keyboardist. And she's going to be joining us on some of the Mahavishnu stuff. We're going to be doing some Jeff Beck stuff with her as a featured soloist on keyboards. And then we're going to close out the set with a special tribute nod to 50th anniversary of Emerson, Lake and Palmer's Brain Salad Surgery album, because that also was 73. So if we think about everything that was happening in 1973, selling England by the pound, by, uh, by Genesis, and 73 is uh, Starless and Bible Black, King Crimson. So there's, there's a lot of really important, very progressive music happening around this time. And we're going out and we're playing on, on so many of our shows, guys, the, the full Birds of Fire album and kind of connecting the pieces and treating it as a suite. And uh, I wonder if, if that's sort of a, a challenging ride for you guys to, to play through the whole thing without stopping. <laughs> yeah, it, you got to. It's just second. Everything. It's second nature now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, just feel like, I just feel like I've been playing this music since I was a teenager. So for me, it's like, oh, finally, I get to play all of it at once. Rather than like, oh, piecemeal here, piecemeal there. It's like, it all fits together. The stuff, the arrangement of Thousand Island is is different. So that's, and of course, the, the ostinati that you wrote keeps it consistent. So like, we kind of know what to expect rather than floundering around or, or you know, removing the potential for floundering around in the improvisational sections. But there's also a lot of exploration that we do, like the way we do hope for example, is quite different than the record, although the music isn't different. It's just we take a very different approach. So to to take this music, to, to put it in, in its proper historical context, in sequence, like the record, and then still expand it into these new um, interpretations is, for me, that's the total package. That's everything you want right there. And again, hope is so interesting because it's one of the few Mahavishnu pieces that has chord changes. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, some there's 
other ones that do. I wouldn't say it's one of the few because you have things like Dawn and um, there's quite a few other pieces that have chord changes, but there's also a lot of pieces that are what we used to call the one chord jam. Yeah, with a one chord. Right. It's like. Yeah, the one chord jam. Yeah. So, and that uh, that features prominently in this catalog. <laughs> but like, again, we've taken, for example, in Miles Beyond, we stretched out this whole middle section uh, and taken it in a really nice direction, referencing early electric miles. And, uh, you know, and even in that tune, we're superimposing the melody, which is in G pentatonic minor, on top of the jam, which were in B flat pentatonic minor. So even melodically, even compositionally, we're doing kind of doing what they were doing, which is this expanded harmonic sense, which comes from, you know, post bop from um, um, Miles Davis' great quintet, right? And all and Debussy and this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I do feel like this group is an opportunity to really point to the volume of, of influences that were the influences for Mahavishnu and were the influences for John and Jan and Billy and, and all of these sort of ancillary styles that, that influenced them, you know. Um, they were jazz guys first, maybe right. not in the case of Jerry who I think was a classical and then a rock guy. But yeah, these these guys are, are really jazz rock players or rock jazz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> John Coltrane. Yeah. You, you know, you don't you don't hear. I mean, there's there's a lot of great cats today, but, um, you know, the, the fusion today that you hear the jazz rock, it, uh, you don't really hear too much of that that Coltrane influence. And that's really what McLaughlin brought along with like the method and you know that video how he shows how i do it which talks about the modes superimposition but um you know all the exercises uh you know with the intervals connected intervals uh arpeggios um he does a lot of that in his soloing and you know just at an extreme tempo and all those guys just dis destroyed that so for the musicians out there or the musicians that are coming up and doing the method and learning um you know all of the uh you know obviously seven tone uh harmony um you know that that was the one thing that mclaughlin and the, and the method uh teaches that uh it's knowing the harmony inside and out you know the the polychords that that come off of of, of those uh of those modes right and uh each, each of those uh, chords and scales that are associated to it and um, Neil was going into it before. Everybody has a different way of doing it, but I think, you know, that link is, you know, Coltrane, the way he soloed, the what he brought, and then obviously the method. All that stuff was happening in the '70s, and he just, you know, slammed on the gas and <laughs> destroyed it. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible to overstate how important the relationship was with Coltrane and Elvin or, or Coltrane and Rashid and the, how that translates to John and Billy or John and Narada and that that uh, rhythmic impetus that's coming from the drums. And, you know, luckily for me, when I was young and heard Mahavishnu, I had already been exposed to Armenian and Turkish dance music from my 
grandfather and my family and going to dances and things like that. So fives and sevens and, and uh, big 10 or even nines were common in that music. So I was lucky because I was learning it without actually learning it. I was, you know, kind of uh, integrating it in the, into my consciousness. And the Dumbek players from the Armenian music were very much like the tabla players in Indian music. And, uh, and so you kind of, you do, you grab whatever you can, I think, to, to stay afloat in this music and whatever your, your clave is for how you think of 19, whatever you can think of for, for 18 or nine, is it nine? Is it 18? Is it three groups of three? You know, and everybody has a different way of looking at it. Um, and I think that's, what's, what's so interesting about this music is that it does allow for different points of entry to how you're going to deal with it melodically, rhythmically, harmonically, modally. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to uh, invite people to come experience the, the joy that we have in playing this music. We're on tour. We're going to be playing, as I say, in Rutherford, New Jersey at Progstock, progstock.com, October 6th. And then mahavishnuproject.com, where we're going to, we have all of our tour dates there. You can buy tickets there. You can see videos of the band and, and learn more about what we're doing. Gentlemen, I think we're going to leave it there because... Uh, We've all got practicing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, uh, always a pleasure to hang with you guys. Always a pleasure to play this music. Thank you, everybody, for watching the show and for coming out to these shows and supporting live music and, and improvisational rock, in the words of Jan Hammer. It's not jazz. It's improvisational rock. And you can always send your comments to me at bendianmusic.com. I'm always happy to hear from people that are enjoying this kind of content. Thank you, Brian Mooney, Robbie Mangano, Neil Alexander. This is Greg Bendian signing off. We'll see you out there on the road, folks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.